Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, hey, BA fam, I have got some really freaking incredible news. We have been nominated for a Webby. Y'all, the Webby is the Oscars of the internet. And the fact that Brown Ambition has been recognized with a nomination for Best Business Podcast, this is incredible. The most incredible thing of all about being nominated for a Webby is that you guys can help decide who wins. That means you can vote for us. Go to webbyawards.com. That's W-E-B-B-Y-A-W-A-R-D-S.com. Find the best business podcast award nominees and vote for Brown Ambition. You can also check the show notes. We'll put a link to where you can vote there for easy voting. But tell a friend to tell a friend. If we take home this award, it's going to be so symbolic of all the hard work we put into this show and of how incredible our BA family is. So go vote for us. Voting is open now through April 21st. All right. So y'all got what, 14 days now to get it together? and come vote for us. Thank y'all so much for your support. Thank you, the Webby Awards, for nominating us. Now let's take this honor home, y'all. Okay, I am so excited to introduce you to my guest this week. You may have seen her on your favorite channel and mine, HGTV. Paige Turner is the incredible host of HGTV series, Fix My Flip. But beyond being an incredible host and real estate entrepreneur, she is in general a, a multi-time entrepreneur, real estate broker, flipping expert, executive producer, TV host, vision strategist, and the founder of EGAP Real Estate and Do the Work, Inc. After working for many, many years under the tutelage of humanitarians such as, you know, Magic Johnson, no big deal, Paige is a self-started and successful entrepreneur that has been a real estate broker, flipper, and investor for two decades. She's also a published author. You can check out her book, The G.O. Life on Amazon. And she owns her own company, Do The Work, Inc. and BLW Productions. She's the co-creator and executive producer and host of her not one but second hit HGTV show, Fix My Flip. And Paige Turner is here with us today on Brown Ambition. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mandy. Hey, Brown Ambitioners. How are you guys? (laughs) You know thriving, surviving, <laughs> every day, all that, all of that and more. <laughs> it's so much more. <laughs> Tell me about so real estate flipping had such had such a huge I feel like, I don't know, it was like part of everyone's fantasy, like I want to buy real estate and flip real estate over the past decade. And then the pandemic hit. And I would love to talk to you about like, what does the real estate market look like now for people who are looking at it and saying like flipping sounds like a great, you know, one could be fun, can be profitable, all that. But people are maybe freaked out 
by what the last couple of years have been like for the real estate market. How has it been for you? And let's just start there. I love that you said that flipping can be fun because that's the first myth. It's not. <laughs> Spending money you may, no. might be fun, but <laughs> the flipping process, that sometimes and most times is what keeps people from getting into the real estate industry. This is a business. Mistake number one, thinking it's the real estate game. It's going to be fun. And I'm like, Mm-mm. there's it, it, the fun is interesting. You know, it gets fun at the end, you know, especially when you can sell a house. But, you know, to get in real estate right now, I think at any time that somebody is ambitious enough to enter into the real estate field is, is the right time for them. Because real estate, no matter if we're in a high like we are now or a low, like back in 2007 during the recession, real estate is always selling. So it's really about your perseverance. It's really about your business plan. And it's really about what your purpose is for being in real estate. That's that's the first question. Yeah, right. So you can tell which one of us is the real estate investor and which one of us is not. <laughs> which one of us sits on the couch and watches HGTV <laughs> and thinks that looks like fine. <laughs> it's unglamorous. Is that what you're telling me? Well, you know, this is the thing. Depending on who you are, when... I'm old school. My mother raised me old school. My mother and my grandmother were back in the days where you dressed up to get on an airplane and you did not wear a scarf and some sweats and some flip flops. Okay. They wore heels, their pearls and had their hats on. So wherever I go, I'm going to come with some glam. Okay. I don't care if I'm just running out to the store. Okay. That's because that's how I was taught because you never know who you're going to run into. So there is a glam in this business, but it's it's roll up your sleeves because you're putting down more money than you'll probably ever put in any one investment at one time in your life. So you have to keep that mindset that while we see that it's so pretty on TV, it's a straight up business that you can either excel in or fail. And it's either or. Well, let's bring me back <laughs> It's either or there is no in between. You're either going to sink or swim. <laughs> got it. Cutthroat. Well, tell me how you got your start in real estate. Was that your was that always your goal? You know, when it came to your career? No, I actually wanted to be like a music manager mogul. I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't write anything, but I can connect people and I know great talent. So I wanted to be in the music industry. But then I happened to have um, three little babies. All <laughs> By the time I was 23, all under the age of, I was 23 actually when I had my twins. And I said, well, you know, although I was born into a family of entrepreneurs, this is really all I know. I still tried. And then it just wasn't working for my pocketbook like I needed to as a manager. And um, I just, and I also working for Magic Johnson. So I worked Long story short, I worked for him in all of the different, you know, um, departments he has at Magic Johnson Enterprises. And one of them was Magic Johnson Development, where we were going into urban areas and finding places to build um, black owned movie theaters owned by him. And so at that time, Ken Lombard was his vice president, told me, you should get your real estate license because if we're buying this land, you might as well be the one selling it to us. Well, then I ended up moving to Nashville because I just couldn't afford LA any longer. I was going to be poor with my three children. And I was like, oh no, I'm a, I can't be poor. So I went to Nashville, lived there for 20 years and said, you know what? I'm going to get my license. And so, cause I remember what Ken told me. And so I did. And I think flipping became natural, just a natural progression as an entrepreneur in the real estate industry. Not every realtor does that and not every realtor wants to, but for me, I'm all about the streams because I don't put all my eggs in one basket. You know, I have several baskets just to make sure. Mm, income <laughs> exactly. Streams. So that's how I got into flipping. It was just a part of my journey naturally. 
So you had how many? So you were you had a traditional sort of nine to five corporate career, and then was flipping your would you have call it a side hustle at the time? Well, I've never had a corporate career. I've always worked for entrepreneurs. I worked for Spike Lee, then I worked for Magic Johnson. And so when we say nine to five corporate, it wasn't, it wasn't a nine to five corporate. You know, we were going to parties. You know, we worked really, really hard, but it, you know, I was working for a legend. So it was a lot different. And then I jumped into real estate full time. That's something else we have to just kind of stop saying, Mandy, the, the real estate hustle. I'm coming in and I'm changing mindsets because in order for minorities to understand how much wealth there is in real estate and how we can close that gap, that wealth gap, we have to understand that it's a real business and it takes a lot of time, a lot of tears for me, a lot of money and a lot of wherewithal to run your business if you want to make it as your full-time business. So I went from working with Magic Johnson and right into real estate and it worked because I worked it. Yeah, I mean, talking about working for not necessarily traditional corporations, you're working for moguls and their own right, self-made moguls. How did you end up working for the likes of Magic Johnson, Spike Lee? How did those relationships start? You know what's cool about growing up in Los Angeles? You kind of know somebody who knows somebody who knew somebody who can connect you with somebody. So it's like just, you know, and LA is not as big as people think it is. So my father was the first black optometrist that owned the first black optical business in Los Angeles. And it was called Page Optical. And it was right in the heart of the Crenshaw district and community. And he designed all of those big glasses for the stars, Black Hollywood, Stevie Wonder and Sammy Davis Jr. with the rhinestones on them, the big square glasses that are back in style now. And, you know, just by that virtue of my father knowing everybody in Black Hollywood, you know, I grew up with one of Quincy Jones' daughters. You know, I, you name it, I've I've known somebody. And that's how I started working for, for Irvin. I was working at Spike Lee, had a clothing store out here, and I was the um, assistant marketing director way back in the day. It was called Spike's Joint West. You remember when Spike Lee's clothes? We might be too young to remember that, but he had a clothing line. And um, right, he had a clothing line. Okay. It was a huge clothing I line. It. You have to believe it. It was amazing. And so she wanted to leave there. My boss did. Her name was Taylor Michaels. She became my mentor. And she ran into like Denzel Washington, who owned a restaurant on Melrose. And he was like, hey, you know, um, Magic's looking for some people to start this, you know, his Magic Johnson Enterprises. She was like, oh, OK, I'll call him. That's L.A., right? I'll call him. So she called him and then she brought me along as her assistant. And then I grew in the company. Connection. Ah, OK, so you really had gotten in when it was a startup. Yeah, he what? Yeah, because he, he I love Magic that. Johnson Foundation. And then I just came when he started Magic Johnson Enterprises. What were some of the lessons or, I mean, I imagine as you were working, how many years with Magic Johnson was it? It was about seven. Seven years. I mean, did you always know I'm going to have my own? I mean, obviously you wanted your different income streams, but did you always know, you know, I'm working, I'm supporting him, but I'm going to own my own brand, my own company someday? I did. You know, looking back, I was 25, 20, maybe 23 to 27 when I was working for him. And no, no, 21, I guess. I used to, I'm so embarrassed sometimes, I used to give him proposals on record labels. You know, I was just trying to figure out how to get out of this quote nine to five with him still, you know, with me still in tow next to him, but saying, listen, let me go start my own thing. You fund it, I'll run it, you know? <laughs> so I, I knew, I knew that, you know, I was there. It was a blessing while I was there. I learned so much. He is a brilliant businessman. I still have communication with him. You know, right before the pandemic started, we were working on something really amazing just about to sign the paperwork then the pandemic hit so that's kind of derailed it a little bit 
Um, but most importantly, he taught me about relationships, you know, relationships, being resourceful and winning, you know, winning. He, he, he knows who he is when he walks in a room and he knows the value that that has. Part of me is so happy to hear about a black woman who managed to find the kind of environment where she could thrive and be poured into, you know, by people in business, because I, I feel like with through Brown Ambition, I've met and even in my own work, you know, I, I coach a lot of women through their careers. And so many of us are out there just like starving for those connections and those those places where we can thrive. And I feel like what's inspirational about your story is, you know, you do talk about those relationships. And for people who are maybe thinking, okay, well, do I got to know Magic Johnson to be successful? What would you say to someone who's feeling okay, I understand relationships, but what if the people that are within arm's reach of me don't necessarily have the means or the 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 space for me to to learn and to grow as a business person? Well, there, okay, so that's a great question and it's super layered. That was absolutely a once in a lifetime opportunity that landed in my lap that I said, absolutely yes, right? And I was young, so I really didn't even know the power of Magic Johnson then because I was 21, I think. And um, I grew into like, wow, I was like, I should have never left, you know, <laughs> I should I should have stayed with him because entrepreneurialism is no joke. But this is what I would say. You have to swim upstream a lot of times to find that connection, to find those circles. And remember, I said a few minutes ago, it's about relationship. Even if you live in Nebraska, there's somebody who knows somebody to get you to where you want to be. Now, you might have to pivot. You might have to make U-turns. You might have to go through some, you know, stop, don't go this way, you know, go the other way. But there's somebody, wherever you need to go, you have to start building relationships to get there. And that comes from me from serving. You know, I built strong relationships authentically. And I did not mind starting as a receptionist at Magic Johnson Enterprises. You know, now I think we have more, this generation has um, a very microwave mentality where it's going to happen overnight and it never does. You know, there is a 10 year process, 10 years. You see these overnight sensations on TikTok and people think, I want that, I want that. But if you really, I'm sure, if you really dig into their story and there are those successes, there are those, you know, like how did that happen? You know, of course we have those, but the overnight success when you're building a business is never overnight, you know? So I would say to that person who might be in the middle of nowhere and wants to, you know, stretch their arms across the lakes and meet the likes of a Magic Johnson, let's say, you just have to start working towards it and swimming towards it and start connecting with people in your business, in your industry, and just start moving up. It will happen. You hear the stories all the time. It happened for me. I'm a single mom, three kids, and I was working for one of the greatest wonders in the world. Yeah. And honestly, if you even take out the name Magic Johnson, what you really did was you followed your gut and you invested in personal relationships. So forgetting even that the person, you know, you happened to be working for was this extremely famous celebrity and, you know, quite successful and all of that. You were just a woman who got a job and impressed the hell out of her boss, it sounded like, you know, and the people that she worked around cultivated those relationships so that when you were branching out into your, you know, your real estate business, I'm sure because of those relationships, you could lean on people for support, advice, guidance, and relationships, relationships, you are listening. That's what I'm talking about all the time. Mm. People matter. There's this connotation that it's like, schmoozing or like this negative, you know, oh, I'm, you know, making relationships, I can get something out of people, you know, and and in a way that I don't know why we have that perception that building relationships can be somewhat nefarious, but it can also be beautiful. You mentioned service and how to add value, the sa- as much value as you were asking people to give you in return. And I think that's the I mean, would you agree? That's like the secret 
to having those relationships where it's not purely you know, transactional. I think the secret is not making it a secret. I think that your heart has to be pure and you have to have a servant's heart first, you know? And so with, when I say serving, if that means that you're going to get somebody some water, you know, you have to, and and there's nothing behind it other than I honor you and I respect you because I'm following your curve. Success leaves clues. So there's no reason why you would not want to go serve people. But if you don't have a servant's heart, it's never going to work for you. Right. Like I led with service. I led with, yes, it was my job, but I also understood. I didn't know this term back then. Of course, we didn't have it. I understood the assignment of who I was working for and I honored that. So it was natural. So that's why I can call Mr. Johnson's office now. Hey, can I set up a meeting with Irvin? And the answer is yes. And I haven't worked for him for 22 years. But I kept that relationship going because I honored him and Cookie and their children. You know, and I was there when when they adopted Elisa in the chambers at the courthouse, you know, their daughter. So that means something. Not everybody's not going to have that. This is so true. Everybody's not going to have that. But there is a way where you can go into an industry and shake hands with people and just tell them, I would like to work for you and I'm here to serve. What can I do? Because success leaves clues and there's I don't need to create. There's nothing new under the sun. So anything we want to do has already been done. It's just being done your way. But you have to learn first how to do it well. Well, talk to me about, so you getting your realtor license. That's where you started, yes. right? When you, what did you set out to start? I'm going to start a real estate business and talk to me about what that looked like. For people who are listening, I think I was speaking about flipping houses as like, oh, maybe buy a house, fix it up and, you know, take a year or two years. To, but you were like, no, no, this is going to be a business. It's not going to be one property. It's going to be dozens or I don't know how many hundreds of properties. What was your approach to that and how did you build it all these years? Well, starting in 2003, I was a realtor. I got my license. I was just selling houses and I had to learn the business. And guess what I had? I had a mentor. I found a woman that looks like me, that speaks like me, that understands me. She had a small business, so I didn't go to a big box. You know, I did I did for about two weeks. I take that back. I did in 2003 for two weeks. And I found that nobody at that big box, franchised real estate brokerage, even looked at me twice. So then I sought out Nazarene Frazier, Southern Realtors, and I said, I want to come and work for you. I will run your errands I will, because I, you have a big house. You have a Cadillac truck when they first came out. And I want to be who you are and even better, you know, so please, whatever you need me to do, I'll put out yard signs. So I put my license with her. She became my, one of my first mentors. That's how it started. So in 2003, you have to have your real estate license three years before you can become a broker if you don't have your college degree, which I don't have. So I had to wait three years then. And she always knew that because of how I grew up with entrepreneurs, that my next you know, journey was going to, going to be opening my own brokerage, which was EGAP real estate. So that's what I did in 2006. And by that time, now I'm a broker. Now I'm a broker owner. Now I'm a black woman who owns my own brokerage, one of the first in Nashville, because Nashville was real small back then. And I said, okay, what else is going on in real estate? You know, I need to learn more. You know, you have to, if you, you have to learn every day something new about your business. Yes, I'm a real estate expert, but if you could see my desk right now, I have at least 15 printouts. When I see articles, I just start printing them out so I can read them. You have to stay hungry for knowledge. Even when you are the expert, there's still somebody who knows more than you. Okay, I will be right back with more from my conversation with Paige Turner, the entrepreneur, executive producer of HGTV show Fix My Flip. 
Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. All right, BA fam, you know we work hard and we play hard, but when it comes to investing and having your money in the market, you want your money to be working for you. That's exactly what the Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app can help it do. Keeps your money out there working hard and kicking you know what. I love Betterment because it makes it easy for even a beginning investor to figure out how to put their money in the market and set it and forget it and be at peace with that because you know Betterment has got you covered with their automated investment and savings app. Their technology is going to give you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize those returns. All you got to do is visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Security. Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Hey, hey, BA fam. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. That's incredible. This is according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 150 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Okay, it's smart. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Just go to Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, I'm back. Here's more from my conversation with the incredible Paige Turner from HGTV's Fix My Flip. So you started out, I love that, men- getting mentorship and finding it in a small boutique, it yeah. sounds like real estate broker. I did. I love that because you even recognize that when you're in a, when you're a, a bigger fish in a smaller bowl, you just get that you get that attention <laughs> and you get to, you hear more. The, it's a lot smaller. You yes. get to hear and observe and absorb so much more. That's brilliant. Yeah. So when you, when did you feel like you were ready? You said 2006. So me, I started, be, I started covering finance as a journalist around 2009. And we all know what happened in that three-year period yeah. in the real estate yeah. market was a, probably a scary time to be in it. So what was that? How did you weather the the great recession and the housing crisis as a budding, you know, real estate broker yourself? Well, it was horrible. I filed bankruptcy. I had to turn in my brand new Escalade that I did get. I sure did get that beautiful Escalade. Not the Escalade. Her name was, um, what was her name, Quincy? Her <laughs> name was 
Oh, I forgot her name, but she was beautiful. We named all, my daughters here. We named all of our cars. Um, she was a beautiful Escalade and I owned a home and I had these three little babies. So it was either give back my Escalade or make the mortgage payment. So, you know, I called Cadillac like, hey, meet me around the corner because I live on a cul-de-sac and my neighbors are nosy and I'm just going to give this truck back to you. So it was horrible. And I said to my mom, well, should I go work at the post office? I've never had a job before. Like I've never had this corporate job that you mentioned before. And I'm in Nashville. We At that time, we didn't have big celebrities to go work for. So what was I going to do? And my mother said, Paige, there are many, many ways to continue to make money in real estate. Keep digging, keep praying and go find them. And I came across foreclosures. So guess what happened? I became the foreclosure listing agent queen for HUD. And I had that contract for 10 years and I made a ton of money during the recession. So that first year, 2007 to 2008 was horrible, horrible. And I was freaking out and I was just, you know, just making sure my babies had food and paying my mortgage. That's all I cared about. And that's all I could really do. And then this opportunity came up, which is what my book is about. Go life, seizing your greatest opportunity now. And you have to go find these opportunities. Sometimes they're not just going to come. You can't be the, the best kept secret. It's not a thing. You have to get out there and find what you need to take care of yourself and your family. So I weathered that storm for just over a year, got the HUD contract, and I was a HUD listing queen in Nashville for 10 years. And it put my babies through private school during the recession. It put them through college during the recession. And I didn't have a diamond child support. So real estate and then flipping too, also buying properties during that time. It wasn't a big bubble then. So these people making two and $300,000 off these flips, making 10 and 20,000 was normal then. And that's still a lot of money. Mm. So HUD, okay, not the, not where I thought that story was going to end up. <laughs> but how did that contract? How did you and I'm loving the twists and turns of this also single mom with three baby girls. I mean, I was raised by a single mm. mom. So I'll, I'll bow down to <laughs> you. And I will say, ooh, nothing like being the daughter of a strong that's single right. mom. I bet your kids are phenomenal. They are. So tell me about that HUD contract. How did that come to be? And what did that look like? Well, so a lot of times people think HUD is just Section 8. You know, HUD is, you know, housing, urban development. So it covers all things related to housing that the government is part of, but not just low income housing. That means, as you would know, that means FHA loans. So everything is governed under HUD as it, as it pertains to FHA loans. And a, and a foreclosed property with HUD is a, an FHA loan that's been defaulted. You know, the person couldn't pay. So the house goes into foreclosure. But how that came about is I was scouring the Internet. Like, what am I going to do with my life in real estate? Because even, here's the here's the other side of having a mentor who's part of a small boutique company and learning from them. It doesn't always mean you capture everything. So in hindsight, I should have learned from her and then also learned from those franchises as well, because they really like the Remaxes of the world, you know, the Keller Williams of the world, they're really running the industry, right? We hear it. We, you know, get the information fizzled down to us. But so looking back, I didn't even know what a recession was. But had I been paying a little bit more attention, I would have been prepared more for that curve, that really that curve ball that came and knocked us all out during the recession. Looking at the internet, I saw a small blurb. It was just as big as eight font that said HUD is looking for a listing agents. And I said, what does that mean? I didn't even know what that meant, but I knew I was an agent. I knew I was a broker and I knew I was black, which means what there are, there are minority contracts that they have to give out. They have to give a certain percentage to black and brown people. And I thought, Hmm, 
Animal Woman. This is this all might work. So I clicked on it and I kept looking and digging and looking and they were looking for proposals. I still didn't know what it meant, but I sent one in and I got it. Being a woman, being a black woman and being a broker owner, I was a triple threat. They were exactly what the quota <laughs> that they needed I could fill. So in Nashville, in my area, they selected me and I stayed part of that HUD family, which it wasn't family, but that group because it's the government. So, you know, for 10 years. What were you, what was your experience like? I mean, you were basically listing foreclosed yeah. properties and then selling them to who? To real estate investors? No, to buyers or in investors as well. So what HUD does, HUD, so HUD is not a real estate brokerage. So when a house goes, do you want to hear all this? Okay. So when a house goes into foreclosure from an FHA loan, so let's say I'm Bank of America and you, Mandy, own a house that you purchased with an FHA loan. And unfortunately, you went into default. And now I have to come and take, as Bank of America, take the house back due to foreclosure. Well, because you purchased that home with an FHA loan, that means HUD, the government, is going to insure that loan for Bank of America. Otherwise, if it wasn't insured by HUD, that house is now going to go into my red book and now I'm losing money and now my bank's going to go upside down. Instead, HUD says, because I'm insuring this house with Mandy's loan, I'm going to take that off your books and put it in a little HUD, HUD holding, holding zone in the sky. But because HUD's not a real estate broker, they hire and select, con they give contracts to asset managers. The asset managers then find via a proposal and select the HUD listing agents. So I was boots on the ground. I go in the house. I secure the house after foreclosure when the when the previous owner has moved out after default. Secure the house, list the house, market the house, sell the house. So that's to investors and that's to the general public as well. And actually, that's what HUD wants to resell to owner occupants, because that is what keeps the market going. Not investors, which is why our market's so high right now. Yeah. And I mean, having been in real estate for so long, it's it's similar to investing. I mean, there's going to be these dips. I mean, obviously, the 2007-8 crisis was more than a dip. It was like a seismic event. <laughs> yeah. But do you feel like your tolerance for those? How are you sort of that tolerance? How important is that for the risk involved and for understanding that there's going to be these like ups and downs? And how has that informed the way that you approach your business, your business ventures now? I'll tell you what a, an old gentleman told me. I was showing a house in like 2000 and see the market started coming back up. So it might have been 2016. And I couldn't believe that a house that was literally in Nashville, 150,000 one day, the next day was 300,000, literally. And I was standing outside of the house while the buyers were walking through by themselves. I like to give my clients a little space sometimes. And I was saying to the listing agent who had to be there to show, I said, I just can't believe this house is 300,000. I feel kind of bad because I know a couple months ago it was only 150. And he said to me, young lady, I've been in real estate for almost 50 years. He said, there are peaks and valleys in real estate that will always happen, highs and lows. When it's high, you ride it. When it's low, he said, when it's high, you sell and you save. And when it's low, you buy, buy, buy. He said, so this is what happens. It's the nature of real estate. And I, and I never forgot that. So when we're high, you do all you can in real estate and save all you can so that when we're low, you can buy everything up. And it sounds horrible. And I said that because as a, as a foreclosure listing agent for so long, if you think about it, I was selling the homes of people who lost their homes, which is horrible. 
But some number one, somebody had to do it. Number two, it's business. And number three, I do have a different mindset behind people who go into foreclosure. Not everybody, but there is a mindset there. Um, and, and a lot of people are just uneducated of what they can do when they're in trouble with the house. That's another podcast. So <laughs> I can come back and talk to you about that another day. So, you know, I tell people that there's highs and lows in real estate, and that's just the nature of it. So my when when I'm walking into when I'm thinking about my business, that's what you have to prepare for in business, the highs and lows in any industry. You know, especially in the pandemic, now we know how to survive a pandemic because we're both here. You know, we survived it. So we could probably each write a book on that. So it's preparation and planning. Preparation, planning, and then that resiliency yeah. when not if, but when those valleys come, you know? And it's sometimes you have to go through it to know how to survive it. There's just it's hard to tell your, you know, to to know until you've gone right. through something that traumatic and that, you know, terrifying how to really come out on the other side. True. So today, I mean, obviously, you've got your, you still have the real estate business, right? Or is it mostly you're focusing on your show? <laughs> what, what does Paige Turner Inc. look like? Because that's what we like to get into. You know, you mentioned all those different streams of income. Talk to me about the way that you would kind of approach your um, your business strategy in that I way. I love that question. Well, I have, I've been selling and, you know, listing and selling real estate for 20 years and I'm, I was in a burnout phase. So when the television opportunity came, I was like, this is cool. You know, I've been doing, I can still do what I love and then, you know, add this as well. And now being on the second show on HGTV, which is amazing and such a blessing, I am now, I don't know if you know this, Mandy, but I'm also co-creator and executive producer of the show and host. So I get to see behind the scenes and now I have fallen in love with executive producing. So my my uh, writing partner, who's also my, my uh, business partner and my manager, <laughs> we have created like six more shows that we're shopping and now I'm on a whole new journey. So I still flip even outside of the TV show because that's just good to do. It's just good income. It's hard, but it's, you know, it's what I love to do. And now being in front of the camera and then also doing, you know, EP work behind the camera, I have found this amazing passion for that I am looking to focus on and continue to develop. That's incredible. And can we go back to when you were talking about baby page dreaming of being a talent manager <laughs> and all these years later it seems like you're finding your way there ultimately now maybe not in the way that you envisioned it maybe not music but if you can create six new pages with incredible shows you know is that sort of the vision yes. there including one of my daughters uh, moved back to los angeles with me and she's an aspiring model. And so she just got a contract. I manage her, you know, <laughs> she just got a contract with an agent. So that's really fun to see that. And I, oh gosh, I just, I love it. Oh, I love what you said. Five or six little pages. <laughs> yes. That's what I want to see because <laughs> I'm a, I'm still a servant and I want to see everybody I can win, win, you know? So if I'm in this position and I know somebody and you're good people, I'm connecting you. You know, don't embarrass me, right? You gotta be good people. I'm connecting you. If I see, we just scroll, my partner and I just scroll through uh, Instagram like, oh, look at her. She's amazing. Let's just tap in and see how she's doing today. You know, and that's how we found our, the. we just got, we haven't got greenlit yet, but we just signed with a production company to develop a show for another young woman to be on television in the home space. Ah, that's incredible. I love it. I feel like the, the more we need like a million more Ava DuVernay's, more Shonda Rhimes, mm -hmm. you know, in, in all the different niches. And mm, isn't magic. it? Is it I love you it. just give me chills. I love it. Yes. Because <laughs> there's room. 
There's room for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much room. Talk to me a little bit about for those curious and just kind of to to round out our conversation with the show. Talk about the show. What happens on the show? Why should we be watching? And what was it like for you to be under the microscope like that? Like it's one thing to do your job, but then to have cameras following you around, it must be a whole different level of, I don't know, excitement, stress. Stress I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) Because I'm hyper aware of me and this is what I love HGTV for this. I'll answer your, your second question. I'll send your second question first. I love HGTV for this. Number one, because they are working their tails off to diversify this network and bring black and brown people and every other color under the rainbow on the network. And I applaud them for that. Number two, they have allowed me and any person of color to really open the conversation with production and with them too. Like the way my hair flows on TV is different than the way another woman's hair might flow that's of a different hue than me. You know, so if you guys want to do demo day and then have a follow-up, you know, do three scenes in one day, I can't do demo first because my hair is going to explode in this heat out here in California and I don't have a pressing (laughs) comb on site and nor do I have a hairstyle. (laughs) So, you know, they've allowed really, but it's true because I'm like, Listen, if my track is showing, you have to tap me on the shoulder, you know, and and there's just we move different, (laughs) you know, and also, you know, I have melasma under all this makeup and it's like you got and they work with me on it. You know, my skin is not in a great space right now. And so I love that because of hyperpigmentation, which comes from the sun, which we're out in the sun working a lot. And and that doesn't really have anything to do with color other than listen understand what I'm going through and let's have the conversation, which they allow us to have now and not, you know, look, not to say they ever looked down upon us, but nobody understood it. Now people are willing to listen to understand. And I appreciate that. What was the other question? Mandy, I forgot. I'm sorry. I am the worst at asking five questions (laughs) in one. I wish I could say I'm getting better at it, but I can't help myself. My first question was, I think it was maybe what was it like for you to all of a sudden go from being a business mogul to then being one on TV? And what was that transition like? Well, oh, and you say, was it stressful or exciting? It is exciting seeing the end result because it all works out, but it is stressful during the process just because not only am I in front of the camera, but I'm also paying attention to what's going on behind the camera as well, because this is a show that I created and pitched and got greenlit during the pandemic. So that's amazing too. Pat on back. But, um, oh, so you pitched the show. Okay. Because you said HGTV came calling, but no, I mean, mm. you came up with the idea and pitched it, got it sold. Oh, okay. well, when I said came calling, what I meant was they literally called and said, hey, we want to put a show together for you, get you back on the network. And I said, well, hey, I already wrote a show. And they were like, well, hey, pitch it. And it was on a Zoom. And I said, right now? And it was about August of 2020. And I said, um, they said, yeah. And I said, oh, well, let me just stretch real quick. And I went off camera and I stretched for like, you know, 20 seconds and I came back and I pitched it and they loved it. They were like, let's do it. And I was greenlit right after that. Casual. That goes back to preparation <laughs> though. But you were prepared for the I moment. Was prepared for the, I was prepared for the moment and I had good relationship, Mandy, when I was on the first show. You know, I always said, thank you. I always emailed everybody, please and thank you. Even when the show got canceled, which the whole franchise did, they just moved on from it. I was like, hey, thanks for the run because guess what? Life happens, pivot time. And I just went on to the next, you know, pursuit of passion and purpose. So it came right back to me and that relationship kicked right back in, right? What is it like? It's amazing. It's thrilling. During a pandemic, you know, hair, makeup, that that's very serious to me. 
But at the end of the day, I'm living a dream that I went and caught. I stopped chasing dreams a long time ago. I'm too old to do that. I'm in the phase of my life now where I'm catching dreams and being able to do that is amazing. And then to grow from it too, as an executive producer and creator for other shows. Oh, I mean, it's like every day I'm so grateful. Yeah. The power of not just being the talent in front of the camera, but also having not only, I mean, it probably opens you up, correct me if I'm wrong, to even more monetary gain, ha- being the owner of the EP on the back end but too, gives right? You three streams in one show. You just named every one of them. <laughs> okay, lovely. I get it. <laughs> but I, for creators out there, I mean, obviously not all of us have TV shows of our own, but to ha- I think that message is coming through for those of us who are who are watching people like you succeed. It's, oh, but they own, but they are executive producing. It's It's more than it's, yes, be the talent, but it's more important. It's also important for us to have a seat at the table. Yeah, and there's know, more, there's more the money behind well. the camera too. So, <laughs> you know, it's just like in the music industry, people see all of these, you know, artists out here singing, but they, they travel so much because they only make real money when they're on the stage. That's when they get paid directly, you know, but if they're not writing or producing themselves, then they're just a paid talent for that moment. You know, royalties is what makes people wealthy. And so even though there's no royalties in, in reality TV, there is just additional, they're called line items, right? On the budget in television and you get additional line items in addition to just being host, not just because being host is amazing, but to being host, there's more. So learning the business on the other side behind the camera, that's, that is top notch. That's like, wow. Yeah. For someone who's listening right now, and maybe they're not necessarily in real estate, but they may be thinking, I want to share my talent. I want to be, I want to executive produce my own reality show. What would be your message to them if there's one thing that you can sort of take away from this conversation or do today to kind of put yourself on that path? Because you're proving it's possible. So what would be one piece of advice or guidance you could offer? Find somewhere, find a show, find a production company, call them and say, hey, I want to be PA, that's production assistant. So they're the ones that Really, they really hold the show together, even though they're they're running around, even if it's giving out water, going to get lunch. You know, it it's it's seems like the smallest role, but it will have the biggest effect because they're the ones that are really interacting with the host and the producers the most. So go and start somewhere. Even if you're a writer, you're like, I don't want to be a PA, a production assistant, you know, because they seem like they're the you know, they just run the errands. You have to start somewhere. So why not start there? Call all the production companies in your area and say, hey, how can I get on set? Get your resume together and then start that way and work your way up. I see. I have seen PAs grow or even um, second camera assistants. You know, they're they're the assistant to the camera man or woman. And it seems like they're just like, you know, doing grunt work, but they're not because I've seen them grow to be first camera man, men or women. You know, even on my show, like, oh, my God, Matthew, you you know, you're camera one now. That's amazing because they moved up. But you have to start somewhere. And people are like, I don't know what's going on with these this new generation. They don't want to work. They just want to have instant TikTok. Hey, 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 Not now. You, but some <laughs> other ones that I see, I'm like, you have to do the work. You know, that's why my one of my companies is called Do the Work. And it's not I'm not talking about do the work from not being lazy. I'm talking about do the work through perseverance, through the tears, through the nose, through the pivots. You have to keep going. But I've said this for years, Mandy, shake hands and kiss babies. That's how, like a politician. That's how you start building relationships. Putting yourself also I hear I'm hearing from what you're saying 
put yourself in the environment where people are doing the dream job that you want to yeah. do or doing the work that you want to be doing. It's sitting, yeah, sitting and feeling isolated in Nebraska, like you, you said. Get out. <laughs> probably won't get you there. Get won't. out. You can't be yeah. the best kept secret. You have to get out there. And now that the world is opening back up again, go find the people who leave the clues to success and go follow them and do like they do. I bet you what they do every day you're not doing. Follow the clues that lead you to success and you cannot be the best kept secret. Brag on yourself, share your story, just like you were. Be a page turner who's got the most incredible name ever. Shout out to Paige's mom <laughs> for that little bit of wordplay. <laughs> I'm delighted. Thank you. As a, as a fellow writer, I see that. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Paige, for, for embodying Brown Ambition and for joining our show. It's been such a pleasure to get to know you. And I wish you continued success in all of your endeavors. Mandy, thank you for allowing me to be here. I love what you're doing. Your platform is amazing. Your questions were amazing. And I just super feel connected. So thank you so much. Hey, BA fam, we could not do this show without your support or the support of our team behind the scenes. The Brown Ambition podcast is produced by Cumulus Podcast Network. It's edited by the wonderful Imani Crosby and produced by Tanya Bustos. Dennis Stemplinski is our in-house tech guru. And I am Mandy Woodruff-Santos, your co-host. And I will see y'all next week. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.